the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to episode 13 of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, joined as ever by my co-host, an esteemed friend up in very cold Canada, Mo Nala. Welcome to the show. Has it actually stopped snowing yet? Yeah, Ghost, uh, I was snowed in this week. Uh, I had to shovel my driveway. Now there's a pile of snow outside my front door that's roughly the height of a car and probably the same length. So tons of snow, bad weather up here in the north, as you're aware. We saw the, the bad power outages down in our southern neighbor, the U.S., uh, but thankfully, you know, it seems to have eased up a little bit. Uh, definitely missing those balmy South African uh, climates down there and uh, the the ability to even have a braai even if it's winter. That's not an option right now. <laughs> you know, the nice thing is you at least have electricity even when it's snowing, even if parts of America don't. And one of the other things you have up there is Disney Plus, which uh, brings us into what our topic is for this particular podcast. Just before we get into that, we've had a lot of people write to us. Um, you know, a couple of shows ago, we interviewed Craig and Tony um, from Anbro Capital Investments on their, their really interesting fund, the Unicorn Fund. And uh, we've heard reports of some challenges with people trying to get into it from easy equities. So we just want to quickly mention there is another option, which is you can invest in the unit trust, set up a debit order, however you want to do it. You'll find it on Sunlam Glacier, on Momentum or on BCI. Just search for that unicorn portfolio by Anbro Capital Investments and you'll find all the details there. And just a reminder to our listeners that nothing on this show should be construed as advice. This is all simply a teaching and learning exercise and that includes any references to Unicorn as well as to Disney and Netflix, which we are going to be talking about tonight. Okay, Mo, so let's get into tonight's show, which is Disney versus Netflix. Now, slightly annoyingly, we agree. Would have been nice if we disagreed, but we agree on this. But it's cool because we can talk through why we agree on uh, on which of these companies is, you know, arguably a better investment or, or in our portfolios at least and for all the reasons. Because we're both media junkies, right? So we, we love this stuff. And this is a content where we spoke about Hasbro and Mattel last week on the last show. Uh, this gamification, people need some sort of light in their lives. And I mean, what better light to get than uh, sitting and binge watching your Netflix or some colorful characters from Disney, right? I think it's because we grew up with the Disney characters. That's probably There's probably some bias in there that needs to be studied. But Disney is a $340 billion company. Netflix is $245 billion. These are big companies. These are among the biggest companies in the world. And a lot of people are interested in them as part of their portfolios, their offshore portfolios, big growth companies. As huge as they are, they're still going. You know, Netflix is the N in fan. Uh, Disney, unfortunately, doesn't have any letter in there. And perhaps that's a pity because I personally prefer Disney. And from our chat before, before the show, it seems that you do as well. I mean, Mo, what's your top of mind on Disney? You know, what do you think makes that thing so special? 
well, in short, Ghost, Disney is just a machine. You know, I mean, Disney, like you say, we kind of grew up with Disney. And, and, and Disney owns so much quality content. I mean, bear in mind, it's, it's not just the Disney princesses that my daughters are certainly very fond of. Uh, Disney owns that. They own Marvel, which has been very popular as of late. Uh, they own some great IP. And that content library is certainly something which 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 is is hard to rival. Uh, also, for those out there that are Star Wars fans, myself included, they own the Star Wars franchise. So Disney has tied up a lot of those great IP within the umbrella of a Disney uh, of the Walt Disney Company. Over and above that, bearing in mind that you don't necessarily see this down in South Africa, but Disney also owns Hulu. Disney also owns ESPN, which is the sports component. So there's a lot underlying Disney just from a content perspective and then I'd be remiss to say that you know even though it hasn't been uh, the the good news story from Disney this year it's those theme parks that are certainly iconic uh, everyone dreams of going to Disney World or Disneyland uh, you've got Euro Disney you've got uh, you know Disney in China and and it's just this global machine and behemoth uh, that for me has certainly always held appeal just as a power business that gets all of the different parts right uh, and, uh, you know, in, in old dealing room speak, they used to say, try and get all the clips you can get on the deal ticket. That's what Disney tries to do. And I think does quite successfully. Yeah, so I would certainly agree with that. I mean, that content catalog is amazing. There's a wonderful infographic for anyone who Googles it, just all the businesses that Disney owns. And it's a, it's a really, really cool, uh, cool visual of, of everything that's in there. As you say, it's Star Wars. It's all the Disney characters we know and love. It's Marvel. But there's a lot of other stuff too. ABC, Fox, Sky. There's a hell of a lot of news networks and, and TV networks in there that just creates this this amazing beast of a content machine. I mean, if we look at some of the numbers, so Netflix has got just over 200 million subscribers. And if we just focus on Disney's subscription business for now, because we know what the parks are, it's a big part of their business. They're all shut at the moment or operating under horrible conditions because of lockdown. So let's focus on the growth business in Disney, which is the online subscription. So Netflix, just over 200 million subscribers. Disney Plus, 95 million only been around for what a year and a bit I think it is so I mean that's remarkable it's almost half the size of Netflix and that's before we take into account ESPN over 12 million Hulu just under 40 million so add that all together and the Disney group is basically sitting with you know around 150 million subscribers so that's three quarters the size of Netflix but everyone talks about Netflix as the streaming giant and and don't necessarily realize what's sitting inside Disney and one of the reasons I like these streaming businesses is because broadband internet access can only go one direction from here and that is up you know with, with there's uh, reports of elon musk looking to launch spacex here in south africa i mean i'm not i'm not much of a tesla bull but spacex i think is great you know and that well that'll be starlink as part of spacex essentially so that could give the the telecoms down here a bit of a hard time but as broadband internet access grows globally then these streaming businesses are going to grow with it ideally and one of the other things i've noticed is where Disney actually seems to have a, a cheaper model, essentially. Their average revenue per user is well down. Netflix is much more of a premium offer. And that may stunt Netflix's growth in emerging markets, you know, back where you used to live, Mo. Yeah, so I think you raise a very important point. Is, is average revenue per user at Disney is almost half what it is at, at Netflix. Bear in mind that, you know, if let's maybe first look at Netflix. You know, my view is that, 
uh, as the business scales right now, Netflix is probably available in almost every geography on the planet. So it's now reaching almost a, a maturation phase where it's going to have to work very hard in terms of market penetration, in terms of still delivering the kind of subscriber growth that we've seen over the last several years. It's going to get a lot harder. I think once they have ascertained that they've reached that mature subscriber growth profile, they'll start looking at ways to try and tweak, get the margins up. Bear in mind, I mean, a simple fact of the matter is that there are lots of people piggybacking off their friends' Netflix subscription and so forth. And so Netflix will probably at some point in time look at that and say, okay, how do we start checking IP addresses to optimize this and make sure that the catch net effectively tries to catch those fair dodges, if you want to call them that. So that's still something, a card up Netflix's sleeve that I think they're going to pull. But then let's go across to Disney. Because here's the beauty. I mean, you mentioned it's almost 100, 150 million subscribers. It's only been in existence in a year. It is available here in Canada. It's not yet available in South Africa. That's a key point, is that Disney is not yet in a whole bunch of key geographical locations globally. So in order for Disney to deliver really stellar subscriber growth, all it needs to do is figure out and to initiate entry into a whole bunch of markets that it currently is not tapping. Now, there will be some sort of licensing tie-ups with content providers in those countries, and they're probably waiting for those agreements to, uh, to reach maturation before they enter as Disney+. Plus. But bearing in mind, I think that's going to give them, you know, that, 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 massive kick up in terms of potential growth numbers. And then on, on the revenue point, because they're cheap, they maybe even have some additional scope to try and start flexing that pricing. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that's where they're going to want to go right now. Uh, certainly what I've seen as a subscriber of Disney Plus up here is that they're trying to broaden that content. Initially, they were quite slow. There wasn't a lot of new additional content, but that's starting to change now. And hey, Disney has a big checkbook. They can throw billions and billions of dollars into content creation just to keep that engine churning as well as leveraging off this massive library that they effectively have owned for decades and decades. Yeah, let's talk about that library. Uh, you know, Netflix creates shows and Disney creates worlds, don't they? So it's entire characters. And what they can do with those characters is amazing. So Netflix has come off such a perfect year because people have been stuck at home. There hasn't really been much live sport. There haven't really been any movies to compete against. So Netflix has, has really had a good the last year, whereas Disney has not. Disney makes blockbuster films. It runs these incredible theme parks. COVID hasn't actually been kind to Disney outside of its subscription business. And when that engine starts to churn again and it creates these worlds and it starts to tap into them again and actually, you know, sell all these things like gaming and everything else, I think that's going to be incredibly strong for, for a company like Disney. And while you talk about markets, I mean, they're really strong in India. So India is around a third of Disney Plus's subscribers. Um, it is at a low revenue per user. But when Disney bought Fox in around 2019, I think it was, Hotstar came with it. And basically they bundled it together, which means they've they've worked out how to do it in a country like India where you bundle sport or an existing platform in with Disney Plus and make it work. South Africa is a small market in the global context, but there's a good example of how it would work here is Ikasa currently is having a good long look at multi-choice and whether or not they need to be forced to start to do things like license out Supersport. And there was an article on the Finance Ghost, uh, you know, in the last week about it to basically say, well, is that not an entry opportunity for Disney Plus? Could Disney Plus not come in here, bundle with Supersport, and potentially grow very quickly. Uh, we know from these Akasi hearings, there are about 349,000 Netflix subscribers in South Africa. So it is a small market, we know this, but it's a good example of what could be possible as Disney starts to tap into more and more markets globally. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this is a content game. It's about who gets to tie up the content that everyone wants. You're fighting for eyeballs. Uh, Disney has an edge in that space. And, and bearing in mind, you know, they, they have a big stick that they can wag around. You know, if, if you don't want to necessarily take the terms that Disney is giving you, remember, you run the risk of them actually pulling their content off your platform. That's effectively what happened before Disney launched Disney Plus is Netflix had the rights to a lot of Disney content. And as that reached maturation, hey, presto, you've got Disney Plus that, that, that kicks off. So I think that kind of heft and might that comes with a brand like Disney is quite significant. Uh, that being said, you know, I, I think also in the longer term, bear in mind that I don't necessarily think they've gotten it 100% right in India. I think they're still trying to figure out that hot star model. It is a bit of a sore point. If you look at it, yes, they get the subscriber numbers out of India. But if your average revenue per user is, is, is so much lower, it tends to drag down the rest of the brand value. Uh, bearing in mind these big giants, both Netflix as well as Disney, will probably start looking at increased differentiation in prices based on region. Uh, and they should, you know, I mean, the, the, the affordability factor is something that they're going to have to consider as emerging markets become a, a very large component of that business. Um, in aggregate, I like it. Uh, I think that, you know, the, 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 some of the sport assets that Disney owns uh, outside of South Africa, for example, so owning in the U.S. through ESPN, those are sports that sports is very localized. Different countries like different types of sports. And so if they can figure out a nice way to tie up some of the sports content rights in countries that they operate in, that might be a, a very interesting strategy to supercharge their growth. But it's not necessarily what I think makes or breaks this thing. I think it's got enough momentum in and of itself to even go it alone without needing to, to look at tie-ups like that. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. And it's interesting to see how Netflix is starting to focus on animated movies as well. I mean, they've guided the market that there's big investment coming from them in animated films, which are incredibly expensive. And I would imagine quite high risk. It's not always that easy to just wake up and create characters that kids will love. And it shows that Netflix is maybe a little bit worried about Disney because they're starting to realize that they need to tap into that kid's market and they need to do it in a hurry. And it's, it's not easy. It's expensive. Um, I can see families having both, you know, Netflix and Disney Plus. The, there's no reason why most households, I don't think, would, wouldn't have both options. And I, I would certainly do that. Yeah, so, so here's the interesting thing. I mean, if you compare the cost of Netflix and Disney Plus, and we're comparing these two against one another, but what we should also be doing is comparing them against the old school cable networks, effectively. Uh, in South Africa, a multi-choice or DSTV. And look at the cost of what a full boutique would cost you on DSTV. It's a lot more expensive than you're paying for Disney and Netflix combined and then some. Uh, it's the same story out here in, in North America. I mean, there are other good companies. This this media space has been one of my favorite sectors for, for some time. And, you know, other companies that don't get the mention would be something like Comcast, uh, which, which effectively owns uh, MSNBC. They own E! Entertainment, Universal, and that all sits in Comcast. And if you look at AT&T, for example, AT&T owns Time Warner. They own HBO. So there are all of these other players on the periphery. Everyone's fighting for a piece of the pie. Yes, Netflix seems to be the giant, uh, as well as Disney. The investment in content is where this is going to be, you know, it's the make or break moment. Uh, animation is expensive. But remember, if you look at Disney, for example, yes, it's got this massive animation and, and, and uh, engine. Pixar, I think, also sits in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Ghost. Pixar's in Disney. And, um, you know, so they own that whole value chain, which is lovely. But bear in mind, Disney has just pulled a very neat trick out of its hat over the course of the last several years in that they've repackaged, rebranded, and recreated old animated classics 
into real world classics. And you've seen that with Lion King, maybe not so well received. Mulan actually did quite well, specifically in the East as well. Jungle Book. Uh, and, and that gives them the ability, Jungle Book as well, like you say, that gives them the ability to really sweat those assets. Uh, there's a new brand that they're launching uh, effectively this year. It's, it's an, in animated form called, uh, I think it's Raya and the Last Dragon. I know this because, like I said, I've got two young girls and they watch these trailers and now they want me to go buy it on premium as soon as it's released. I won't judge you, Mo. If, if you're watching well. animated movies, I'll be the last one to judge. I'm as bad as you. Don't blame your kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned the Finding Nemo reference in our last show. So, you know, I, I, I love animation. I use my kids as an excuse to say I'm watching it because of them. It's actually because I love the content. But this is new content. It's a new character. It's a new world they're creating. And as they do that, they then go and create plush toys. And they go and create video games. And they go and create clothing lines. And that's the beauty of, for me, of Disney over Netflix. Netflix hasn't yet or maybe doesn't even have the ability to really start creating brands out of their shows and brands out of their characters it's kind of a one show you watch it until you're tired of it and then you know once you're done binge watching you move on to the next thing that's an expensive model because they've got to keep churning content without being able to monetize that content in any other way i just want to touch on valuation quickly without going into detail on this show but i mean Netflix has been trading like a tech company and I've always seen it as a content media house. So I've always thought it's expensive. I've missed the entire bull market behind Netflix because I've just consistently felt that it's just not as good as people think it is and that it's free cash flow generation is going to be disappointing. So we'll see how that pans out. And Disney, in Ghost Mail this past week, I did a quick back of the napkin situation where you kind of strip out Disney Plus, you know, put a Netflix multiple on it, which is a bit bullish as a top end try and work out what the old Disney used to do, which is not that difficult. You just look at their profitability, you know, before COVID. And 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 ultimately, once you've done a bit of maths and, and some, you know, liberal rounding off, you kind of come out with a price earnings ratio for Disney somewhere in the high 20s, which, you know, used to be an exceptionally high PE value. In today's day and world, it almost sounds like a value stock. Um, but I don't think it's too bad. I, I, I wouldn't rush in and buy more now, though. It is at all-time highs. I bought last year, sort of July. So I've been only too happy with Disney, even though I've missed out Netflix. Uh, Mo, have you got either of them in your portfolio? So so Netflix, I, I like both of them. Uh, Netflix, uh, you know, I, I participated from the kind of 200 levels up all the way to around 400, then thereabouts. Uh, once you've doubled your money, you start thinking, okay, well, at a PE of 80 or 90 times, how much more can we squeeze out of this? So, you know, I effectively exited that. Uh, I've lost this last portion of, of the rally. Um, I wouldn't necessarily mind buying back in, but certainly not at these prices. I'd wait for a correction uh, before buying in. I think there is still some value there. Like I say, they've got a couple of cards up their sleeve that I think they could still pull. Uh, my clear preference here is definitely for Disney. Uh, I wouldn't rush out and buy it at current prices around 180, 190 bucks. No, uh, but what I do think is again on a correction, and and you know I'm currently cautious of the markets. We spoke about it in the last show, VIX, not VIX. I'm currently cautious of the market. So if we do get the correction that I think may materialize, that might give me a significant buffer enough or a margin of safety to start looking at, at, at accumulating Disney again. Uh, so adding to, to a position there. Um, also, longer term, if I'm looking at it from a, rather an investment rather than a trading play or trading perspective, uh, the value unlock for Disney for me is, is, is potentially a lot greater because it's trading at these levels. But at some point in time, the world's going to go back to, to, to operating in some sort of normality. Theme parks will open up. Yes, maybe with social distancing and security measures in place. And when that happens, 
a big chunk of the Disney engine that's currently turned off will be turned on again. And that just looks like an automatic value unlock in the longer term. So I like it. I don't think the multiple's too demanding. I read your article on Ghostmail. I liked it. My own calculations suggest a very, very similar kind of, uh, you know, numbers uh, on the back end, a 20 to 30 type of PE. It certainly doesn't look expensive given where the market currently is, but I still wouldn't rush out and buy it right now. Uh, I'd be opportunistic. And yeah, my clear preference, as I mentioned, Disney over Netflix. Before we go, there's one other company that I think we should quickly mention, and its name is Nintendo. It's got a market cap of around $77 billion, which makes it, what, like a fifth of the size, or a little bit, you know, a little bit more than that of Disney. And it's focused on gaming, which is something that I'm extremely bullish on over the next decade. Uh, there's a good subscription model there. They've been making a lot of money in the console space with their Switch consoles. I mean, they've shipped... 80 million of the things since 2017, which is about 40% more than the Xbox One, uh, which has been around for a few years more, although it's only about two-thirds the number of PS4s. But what's cool with Nintendo, it's almost like Asian Disney. They own the rights to the likes of Pokemon, Super Mario. Those are characters we know. But there are a ton of other characters that, that neither you or I probably know, but are, you know, to use the saying, big in Japan. So... You know, Nintendo's on a revenue multiple of around five times, which is half of where Netflix is trading. It's a bit cheeky to compare the two because there's a lot of console sales in there. So if we look on a PE basis, Nintendo's on a PE of about 18. So it's quite a bit cheaper than these American stocks, which are, are quite frothy um, to your point about, you know, whether we're sitting with fear or greed in the market. And it's a company that's tripled its income in the past three years. So we won't talk detail on Nintendo now because we're out of time. But what do you think, high level of that company? Any thoughts? Yeah, so I, again, we've spoken about it. We've written about it. I, I like gaming. I like content, entertainment. That's where I think the world is right now. Uh, Nintendo's definitely on my favorites list. It's definitely there. Uh, as you indicated, certainly, you know, on a valuations basis on those numbers, not as demanding a valuation as some of these other players. So yes, I like Nintendo. I spoke about another stock, which is a Chinese gaming platform called Huya. Uh, and I know there's a big investment from Tencent into Huya. So, so you know, as a South African, you might not be able to get Huya, uh, but you might be able to, to pick it up indirectly through Tencent. That stock's had a, a fantastic rally and it's coming off a little bit now. So I'd be looking for another opportunity to maybe get back in. Uh, and then, again, I don't think we can ignore the fact that in a content, in a gaming type of world, you're going to go and want to pick up other assets as well. And like I say, you know, we, we discussed Comcast, AT&T. I would say that there's probably a part for all of these stocks in a broader portfolio. But gaming is maybe something that we've got to do a whole show on because I like to unpack that because in that sector, it's not just Nintendo. You've got to look at something like an NVIDIA who goes and creates the, the graphics cards on the back end to facilitate all of these gaming consoles and platforms. We've got to look at what are the gaming platforms that are available out there. I mean, one last point from me is that there's some kid on YouTube who's got millions and millions of followers and all he does is he plays he plays video games and people watch him playing video games. So that certainly tells you where the trend is, where the mega trend is. And there are going to be many, many ways to try and extract value from that value chain. It's not just the obvious stocks that you'd be picking. There's a whole bunch of other names in there that certainly investors uh, who want to dig a little bit deeper. And that's what I guess we do on Magic Markets will want to get into. Uh, but this has been a great show, Ghost. And, uh, you know, I think we're out of time. Uh, so I'm going to give it that last plug. I, I hope the guys have enjoyed it. Uh, if they've enjoyed it, go and give us a great, and that means five star rating on in the podcast platform of your choice. And if you haven't subscribed yet, remember to subscribe, share the love, spread the news, tell your friends about us. Thank you, Mo. And I'm also very bullish on gaming. So let's do that show. Then we can agree again. We need to find something we disagree on. 
Nevertheless, thank you and I'll see you next week on Zoom and to our listeners, hope you have a good week in the markets. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.